I was telling the, the team this morning, there, there are um, so many times in life when we plan and we prepare and you try to get your ducks in a row and you want everything to work out always the way that uh, you want it to work out. And then uh, sometimes life throws you a curveball and something happens like uh, you, you didn't expect and you're right, all right, Lord, like let's, we'll, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. We don't have a screen. It's not the end of the world. We'll power through. And uh, you guys uh, did a great job this morning. A significant question that I want to ask you this morning. uh, Do you believe in life after death? Do you believe in in life uh, after death? I know that's probably a a little deeper than like, hey, how was your Saturday? Uh, But it's a question that I want us to wrestle through together this morning. Do you believe in life after death? Studies show that more and more Americans do not believe in God, but surprisingly, 80% of those polled uh, believe in some sort of life after death. Uh, And yet, I would argue that it seems like oftentimes we live our lives in such a way that we uh, don't believe in life after death. We believe that this life uh, is the only life. And so we find ourselves saying things like, hey, you only live once, right? And so you got to make the most of it because life passes by quickly. And so there's this sense where you're like, man, I need to suck everything out of the day that I possibly can because you only live once. Have you ever found yourself with an experience that you've had that has been just off the charts spectacular and you've said maybe out loud or to yourself, It it can't get any better than this. This is as good as it's ever going to get. Have you found yourself there before? I I think oftentimes we live life in such a way that, that we functionally believe that this is all that there is. Uh, And so we pursue our joy and our happiness at all costs. Right? Because we only have one shot at this thing. And what ends up happening is, is either life doesn't look the exact way we thought it would and we're a little disappointed. Right? Maybe you've been there before. Or, or sometimes, and I think this is rare, but sometimes the life that we have planned out for ourselves, we actually have some of those experiences, but find ourselves saying it seems like there's something more than this. Uh, Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots, after winning his third Super Bowl, was interviewed by 60 Minutes. Uh, And as he was speaking with uh, the gentleman doing the interview, uh, he wondered out loud, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something out there better for me? There's got to be more than this. Uh, There's a gentleman that many people would look at and go, it seems like he's kind of got a good deal, right? I mean, he's Super Bowl winning quarterback. Some people arguably say he's the greatest of all times. He's uh, married to a supermodel. And if that uh, isn't enough, he went to the University of Michigan, right? there. Thank you. Thank you. You knew that was coming. It's just someone that you look at and you think he's got it all together. He's lived the life and yet he's wondering out loud, there's got to be more than this. The gentleman uh, doing the interview said, well, what is the answer? And Tom replied, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. So there's this longing in our hearts to experience something that either we haven't experienced or to experience something more. What's interesting is historically Christians... 
uh, have been the folks that have believed that there is life after death, that this isn't all that there is, that there is something that happens after we breathe our last breath. The Apostles' Creed says that we believe in the resurrection. We believe that there is more to life than just this. And so my question to you this morning is, do you believe in life after death? And why uh, does it matter? There were a group of religious leaders that approached Jesus one day, and they tried to trick him. They asked him a question that pertained to the resurrection, to life after death. They didn't believe in it. They thought it was a a made-up fairy tale. And Jesus uh, spoke to this group of religious leaders, and he uh, reminded them that the future promise of a resurrection is grounded in God's power and in God's past faithfulness. Right, the story takes place in Mark chapter 12, and so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me. The words will not be on the screen. I, I mean, you guys can't see them, but these are the best slides I've ever done. I, got, I mean, spent a little extra time this week. There are some powerful pictures. You'll never forget them. It was, just take my word for it. Uh, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, says, And Sadducees came to him, Uh, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Verse 20, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Verse 23. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For uh, the seven had her as wife. Sadducees were a group of individuals who were the religious leaders or considered to be religious leaders in the day. They were uh, the theological lawyers of the day. They helped interpret the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. If someone had a question, you might go uh, to the Sadducees to find out the answer. Author Daniel Aiken, uh, in his book on Mark, says that the, the Sadducees were a small sect of wealthy aristocrats with significant uh, political and temple influence. Uh, They were a group of people who were sympathetic uh, to Rome. They dominated the Sanhedrin uh, during the time of Jesus. They they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the immortality uh, of the human soul. Uh, Church historian Josephus uh, writes about the Sadducees. The doctrine of the Sadducees is this. Souls die with their bodies. So when you breathe your last breath, uh, that is it. Uh, You can understand why children in the 1980s uh, sang the classic tune, I just want to be a sheep. It's not that classic, but it was a song that I remember when I was a little kid. There was a verse in there that said, uh, I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. They're so sad, you see. Don't want to be a Sadducee. Who's with me? Come on. Yes. Classic. 
It's a classic. The Sadducees looked at life and said, you get one shot at this and then it's over. There's nothing past uh, this life. And so the Sadducees were a group of people that approached Jesus one day in order to stump him. There are five confrontations between religious leaders and Jesus at the end of Mark 11 and into Mark 12. This is the, the third of five. And so they come to him with, with this question that for you and for me probably seems a little foolish. Uh, the Old Testament said that if a gentleman were to be married to a woman and they were not to have children, if he died, she would marry his brother uh, because it was so important to, to pass on the family name. Right? And so he dies, he rolls out, she marries the brother. And, and so the Sadducees come to Jesus with something that Jesus would have understood, something that uh, would have been somewhat familiar in the day, and he poses Jesus a question and says, hey, let's say that this Old Testament thing actually happens. A guy is married to a woman. They have no children. He dies. She marries the brother. He dies. She marries another brother. He dies. She marries another brother. You see how this is going seven times. I don't know about you, but if I'm like the fourth or fifth brother, I'm like, time out. I don't, I don't know what's in the water, but I'm keeping my distance. That's not the point of the story. Right? The point of the story was the Sadducees were trying to come to Jesus and pose to him a question that would stump him or, or pose to him a question that would show Jesus or show others the foolishness of the resurrection. In other words, if the resurrection is true, uh, if there is life after death, how, how crazy is that uh, for this woman who had been married to, to seven men? Who's she going to be married to, Jesus? It's preposterous. I love how Jesus responds. He, he calls a spade a spade. In Mark chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Jesus said to them, uh, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And you talk about a gut punch. Right? You go to the experts of the day and you tell them, hey, the thing that you think you're an expert in, you're not. You, you think you know the scriptures, you think you can interpret the scriptures, you think you're, you're an expert in all things scripture related, you don't even know the scriptures. I read that and I thought to myself, uh, do, uh, do I know the word? Do you? Like, did you know do you know the word? Do you come to the word and go, God, like, I want to know you, and you have revealed yourself to us through your son, your son's words, your word is here. I thought to myself, James, do you, do you, do you thirst after a relationship with Jesus through the word of God? Jesus makes an argument to the Sadducees that if you do not know the word, you do not know me. Right? God is, is not this idea that we simply make up in our minds, and yet how many times have you heard or said to yourself or to others, well, I just, I can't believe in a God who would fill in the blank. Right? And so our experience or our, 
Our frail thoughts oftentimes define or determine our perception or perspective of God instead of uh, God's word. So Jesus comes to the religious leaders, the the leaders who supposedly knew the word, and he says, you do not uh, know the word. And then he says to them uh, something else that is just as damning. He says to them, uh, not only do you not know uh, the word, but you do not know uh, the power of God. You do not know the power of God. Again, I look at this and I say, James, do you you know the power of God? Have you experienced the power of God? These are a group of people who would have heard the stories just like we heard the stories. This was a group of people that would have read about the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, This is a group of people that would have uh, known about the miraculous things that God did in and through uh, his children throughout the course of time. This is a group of people who would have known that the God of the universe sent the plagues. This is a group of people that would have known about or heard about the stories of walls caving in and falling. This is a group of people who would have caught wind of the stories of the power of God. And yet Jesus says to them, you do not know the power of God. Do you know the power of God? And it's so easy to to function in such a way where everything can be explained by our strength, by our ingenuity, by our creativeness, by our talents, by our gifts, and not by the power of God. And so if it doesn't make sense to us here, it just doesn't make sense. If it doesn't seem like uh, God can work or, or a situation will play out a certain way unless something miraculous happens, we just kind of assume that it's not going to happen. Because it doesn't make sense here. But Jesus says to these religious leaders, you do not know the Scripture and you do not know uh, the power of God. And so there are places in Scripture where, where there are prayers that are prayed for God's people uh, to know his power. It's easy to be critical of the Sadducees, and yet oftentimes when I think of, uh, of what Jesus said to them, I wonder if that could not be said about me or about you. I think we have a tendency to forget. We suffer from amnesia. And we forget the power of God. And so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, writes these words to the church at Ephesus. I do not cease to give thanks for you, uh, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then verse 19, listen to this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might uh, that he worked in Christ, who he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he's saying, God, give, give them eyes to see. And, and one of the things that he wants them to see is the immeasurable greatness of his power. It's immeasurable. Like you, you, you can't define it. There, there's no ceiling 
to the power of God. It's like a, a high school football player who walks around and asks all of his buddies, hey, what do you bench? Right? Because that's the ultimate display of power. Right? Can, you, can you do 225 or 125, 175, 350? You're trying to gauge like, like how strong is this person. We can't do that with God. His power is immeasurable. And Jesus says to the Sadducees, you do not know his power. You do not know his power. If a God is truly powerful, then what can God not do? Like, what can't he do? What can you look at and go, I think (laughs) that one's tricky. I think it's beyond him. I don't think he can do that. There's nothing, there is nothing in the universe that is too difficult for God. May, as a people of God, may we grow to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Jesus continues in verse 25 and says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So Jesus responds to the Sadducees, says, you do not know the word, you do not know the power of God. And then he comes back and he's like, listen, uh, marriage is, is you're asking about uh, in your illustration. It doesn't even, listen, doesn't even look like that. Jesus says there is uh, no marriage in heaven. People neither marry nor are given uh, in marriage. Now I know for some of us, there are times when we hear that and we think, amen. That's... That's a good, I mean, there, there are trying times in a marriage when you're going like, like forever? <laughs> but, but then there are other times when marriage is sweet. Right? When, you, when you look at your spouse and you are like, Lord, thank you. Man, thank you for this gift. And, and the thought of, of not having that experience for all of eternity uh, may leave you a little disappointed. Maybe you're going, well, like, I married up. Like, and you, and you mean there's not going to be marriage in heaven? What Jesus is teaching the Sadducees, what he's teaching us, is that the reason that there is no marriage in heaven is our relationships with Jesus, our relationships with our brothers and sisters will be so filled with love and affection that there will not be longing for something more. Like like we will not have this sense in our hearts and in our souls, boy, this is kind of disappointing. This would be heaven if Jesus is saying, no, there there will be no marriage in heaven, but there will be maximum joy. There will be optimal happiness. There will be complete satisfaction. If that is true, then that means oftentimes the things that we pursue uh, to allow, allow us to experience lasting joy and lasting satisfaction and lasting contentment may be good things, uh, but they are not ultimate things. That, that means marriage is a good thing. It's a, it's a gift from God. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. 
Uh, parenting and children, it is a good thing, uh, but it is not the ultimate thing. Your, your career and your career advancement and what you accomplish may be a good thing, but it's not uh, the ultimate thing. Your financial stability uh, may be a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. Your relationships and friendships are a good thing, but it is not uh, the ultimate thing. It's not the ultimate thing. Good things are not ultimate things. In heaven, Jesus is teaching the Sadducees, and he's reminding us today, uh, good things are not ultimate things. Right? In the resurrection, what is to come after this life will not leave you longing for more. You will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed, and nor uh, will I. So why... Uh, does this matter? I asked the question this morning, do you believe in the resurrection and why does it matter? Well, why does it matter? You ever stop to think about that? Do you ever stop to think about uh, how you would live your life if you knew this was all you had? Right, if, if this is it, if you get 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years and then you're done, like how does that change the way that we live? Like for me, I think to myself, well, it makes sense to be pretty selfish. <laughs> I mean, if I only get one shot at this thing, if I have a window of time and then I'm done, like I, I want to experience everything I can experience here and now. I, I live a selfish life if that is true. Uh, if that is true, I pursue uh, joy in any and every place I possibly can. Right? Hedonism becomes pretty attractive. Right? Because if this is it, like if we just get this sliver of time and there is not an eternity, then it makes sense that you would pursue hard and fast every feasible and possible opportunity for joy. If there is no resurrection, then it seems as if my joy is always wrapped up in my circumstances. Right? If, if I'm looking back and going, hey, I missed out, and that's not fair. I get, I get one life and my youth was crummy. I get one life and my college years were terrible. I get one life and my 20s were forgettable. I get one life and I'm aimless in my 40s. I get one life and I'm not healthy or wealthy or wise. But you see how your joy is just connected to your circumstances. But uh, if there is a resurrection... Right? If there is life beyond what we are experiencing here and now, we can live a selfless life. Right? I don't have to live my life in such a way that the world revolves around me. Right? I, can, I can gladly and joyfully serve others. I can, I can be extravagantly generous with what God has given to me. Because I, I, I don't need to experience everything here and now. If I lose this, I have forever. It means that, that I can suffer well. I can suffer well because I know the times in my life when I suffer are just a sliver of time in relation to eternity. It means that I face my own mortality or the mortality of the ones that I love uh, with hope. I have hope. I, I have hope that when I breathe my last breath that I will be breathing my first. 
having uh, that kind of mindset, uh, the mindset that says there is more than, than just this life that I see, this life that I live, this life that I know, is, uh, it's easier said than done, right? Isn't it? Isn't it for you? I mean, this is what I know. I know that this life, I know this family, I, I know this family, this is what I see. This is what I experience. Life here, what's, what's there, seems a little unknown to me. I mean, I read about it here. I have snapshots, it, snapshots of it. I have pictures of it. But this is, this is just what I know. And so how do I know Uh, How can I rest assured that the promises of Jesus are true? How can I rest assured that there is life after this life? Jesus says in verse 26, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. What Jesus does to the Sadducees and what he does for us is that he reminds us that our future a hope of a resurrection is grounded in God's past power and faithfulness. Right? The hope that we have for future resurrection is grounded uh, in God's past faithfulness. Jesus is saying to the Sadducees, you know the Old Testament. You've heard the story about Moses and the burning bush, how God spoke to him, and he spoke to him as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In other words, he, he is their father, not he was their father. He is the God of the living. He is not the God of the dead. Jesus is saying, remember the track record of the God of the universe. Look at how he has operated throughout the course of time. Know that you have hope that's resting and grounded, not in some flimsy, boy, I sure hope it works out, but in a steadfast and sure, faithful God. God says, this is how I've worked throughout all history. This is how I will work in the future. When Melissa and I first started dating, uh, I would go out to lunch or to dinner with her family. Um, And the first couple of times I went out to lunch or dinner with her family, when it came uh, time to pay for the bill, I always reached in my pocket, because this is what my mother told me to do, and I pulled out my money to, to pay for my meal. Early on in our relationship, Melissa's dad uh, looked at me and said, James, as long as you are eating with me, you will never pay for a meal again. And I said to him, I am not one to disagree. (laughs) I don't want to fight you on this. And by golly, for the longest time, uh, it's kind of how it was. And I don't know if you've had this experience before, but especially when you are a young man and you think to yourself, I have to pay for my own meal, you notice that there are certain sections of the menu that, that you don't visit. Right? There's certain cuts of meat 
that you, like you look at from a distance. Maybe you see it in the case when you walk in the restaurant, but you don't dare order it. Like maybe for an anniversary, maybe for a birthday. Uh, then there's another section on the menu where usually, usually the steak or the chicken fajitas are. And, and it's not quite the nice steak, but you're like, this is, you know, it's sizzling when it comes out. You're like, we're going to splurge a little bit. We're going to get the fajitas. Then there's the turkey sandwich. When I live life with a turkey sandwich, like the turkey sandwich, the plain burger, occasionally I'm like, can, can I get the kid's meal? I know it says 12 and under, but I just, I'm not that hungry. And you're like, you're pinching pennies. You're thinking, what's the best way to do this? When, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, I got it. And then for 20 years, they got it. You enjoy some meals, right? You enjoy some meals. But God has said to his kids, I, I got it. I got it. And then he has a track record of faithfulness demonstrating that what he said is true. Listen, Christ's point, the the living and reigning God of the universe has made a promise uh, to his kids. Uh, that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And he is demonstrated by his power and by a track record of faithfulness uh, that he can be counted on, uh, that his word is true. Is there a life after death? Is there hope uh, beyond when you and when I breathe our last breath? Yes, there is. Uh, There is uh, for God's kids, for those who by faith trust in the finished work of Jesus. Uh, The best is yet to come. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you that uh, that your word is true. Uh, Thank you that you are a faithful God. Thank you that you can be trusted Uh, that you have poured hope into the hearts of your kids. God, I pray that we would know you through uh, your word. I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to experience your power. I pray that we would be a people uh, when we feel unsteady or unsure, when our hearts are full of doubt or worry or anxiety. Lord, I pray that you would uh, remind us of your track record of faithfulness. God, thank you so much for, uh, for loving us. We love you back, uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.